بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم ما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala to God Most High and we seek blessings upon the Prophet may peace be upon him okay so we'll jump right back into the material and also um, for those who haven't gotten the link this is a link to the document where I'm saving links to the recordings and where I'm saving uh, notes. So I figured out by accident how to post notes uh, in Google Doc, the Google Doc. Okay, so so let's share. And every time I click share, the message goes away. All right, so do you all see OneNote? Okay, perfect. And then let's just make this window nice and big. Okay, so once again, the approach over the course of this month is and has been to look at prominent ayahs. We looked at the Basmallah, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, and then we've been now exploring Alif, Lam, Mim, these disconnected letters. In fact, I should probably write. These disconnected letters. And where we left off was this question of... <clears throat> How do we make sense of Alif Lamim? Can we make sense of Alif Lamim beyond the basics? The basics being that no one knows what this means except for Allah. Um, and then on top of that, if I accept that, if I believe that God knows what this means, yet I do not, then I have intellectually submitted to God, which is a foundation to the whole process of having a relationship with God. So, Adding to it, I'd like you to consider a couple more things. That with these disconnected letters, so for example, Alif Lam Mim, <clears throat> one, we know that this is from Allah, it's from God. We are taught it from the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then it is further preserved and disseminated with the Ummah. Meaning, how do I know to pronounce this as Alif Lamim? Because I've been taught by somebody. This is not something you're going to automatically know just by knowing Arabic. And then that person was taught by someone who's taught by someone who's taught by someone who's taught by someone who's taught by someone, going all the way back to the Prophet, may peace be upon him. So the one of the fascinating things about every passage, but especially the disconnected letters, is that it encompasses all these core elements of our deen. What you see on the screen is literally the outline of the whole month. That first we're going to focus on ayat related to Allah. And then we're going to focus on ayat related to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then we're going to focus on ayat related to the ummah over the course of this month. And we could even add more to this, that if I refuse to pronounce this according to the prescribed way, then I'm also facing God on the day of judgment about it. That if I do pronounce this the right way, then inshallah, I'm getting rewarded for each letter. And then if I refuse, if I just want to pronounce this as alima for whatever strange reason, then 
I am refusing the teaching attributed to the prophet, peace be upon him. But those first three, this is essentially the first 10 days of our exploration, second, and then the third. Good. Now, back to other points about Alif Lamim. One point we were addressing is that you can never escape the fact of the unknown. Obviously, philosophically, only Allah is omniscient. I am not. There is always going to be unknown in my existence. Anything from as small as, what does this person think of me? I don't know their heart. I don't know what they're thinking of me. Or something larger like, okay, the, uh, the test results for my beloved, uh, my beloved persons, let's say my relatives uh, at the hospital are going to be coming in. I don't know what the test results are. And they might have something very serious. You are always going to have unknown. So if we add the basmallah to the disconnected letters, so hopefully this formula is not too confusing. We're saying if we look at that first ayah, bismillah rahman rahim, as the flashlight for everything in all of Islam, as well as the flashlight for everything in all of reality. We're saying again what? That a goal is connection primarily with God, with Allah, especially through his mercy. Which means what? that the default approach I should take regarding the unknown is to turn to God, but to regard this unknown as a mercy from God. How do I look at the unknown as the mercy from God? So for example, I have a child who's sick. How long are they going to be sick for? Are they going to be sick tomorrow? Or did I pass this exam? Or is this person going to respond to my communication satisfactorily? Every single type of unknown you can think of. What is my bill going to be for this repair? What does it take for me to look at the unknown as a mercy? Any thoughts? Somebody try. Rivars, um, like, uh, um, go for it. Uh, because having trust in the time of uh, uh, like uh, unknown means like when the unknown means like it's something that you really want you don't know but you need it but you don't know okay. in that sense uh, then it is it becomes a sort of a trial and uh, and then having a f- uh, faith on the qadr of Allah will be rewarding at the at the judgment day. Okay, translate for us what is the qadr of Allah? <sighs> like, uh, uh, like means you 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 rely that whatever will happen, okay. uh, Allah has taken care of me. Okay. And he, I will be able to persevere through okay. that. So, that so the qadr of Allah would be whatever Allah has willed, whatever Allah has yeah. destined for me. Okay. Yeah, will, yeah. And so... So one aspect of this, and I'll get to you in a second, Awesome, is, is I should have the conviction that whatever this thing is that is in the unknown, number one, at this moment, it's a benefit for me not to know. 
And then two, it is going to be a mercy. Even if the the revelation of what is what becomes known might seem to make my, my life much more difficult. But this is a choice that I'm making on how reality operates. Awesome. Yeah, I think also like knowing everything sounds really exhausting mm-hmm. for one, but also knowing everything means you're responsible for what you do with that knowledge. Um, and that sort of the like an example of that is Chizer uh, being right. Like when uh, I think Musa went to meet with him, he was doing inexplicable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh because he had to utilize his knowledge and mm-hmm. therefore like you're responsible for what you do with the knowledge you have. And so knowing everything sounds like it would be, I, it almost, for, well, at least for me, it sounds like it, I'd just be petrified of all the things I would have to do. Mm-hmm. So, so you made this reference for Khidr. Uh, so for those who are not familiar in the 18th Surah, the cave, the Kahf, uh, we have Moses Musa, peace be upon him, visiting Khidr. He's not named as Khidr in the story, but he is following him around to learn some things. And then he does, as Asa mentioned, make some, some choices that seemed the reverse of what a person would do. But then he gives the explanation. But part of it is because he had a bit more knowledge than, than what Moses had and such. And so, yes, there are consequences to knowledge. Speaking as someone who has been shown far more of the dirt that we keep under the rug in the community, I'm telling you ignorance is, is absolutely, definitely bliss okay, in many, many ways. Okay, so, so one is just think of the fact of me not knowing <clears throat> how this road is going to end. Okay, you know, is this going to end in a marriage? Is this going to end in a divorce? Is this person going to be, going to be diagnosed with a horrendous sickness? Oh, my shall look at the tiny baby. So, uh, and doing whatever Daisy parent does. Okay, so the the point being that I want to condition myself to see the unknown as a mercy from God. In contrast to seeing it as a trial that causes me anxiety. Now, if we take it a step further, that the fact of the unknown, if the known will be given to me at some point, I also have more opportunity to connect further to God by way of dependence, by way of dua, by way of supplication. Okay. There's another point, sorry. Go ahead. That uh, it is also uh, the unknown, the path from unknown to known, if you're talking, if you're going in that direction, is yeah. that uh, uh, at some point when you will become known, then you will be ready for that, to mm-hmm. understand or to comprehend. Inshallah. Um, maybe you needed something, a sort of a certain course of direction and or experience to be able to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Then, then the something then revealed to you. You are ready to be able to like digest it or absorb it, right? Sort so of. I'm going to modify the words "being ready for it" to "being able to handle it." Yeah. So sometimes what we do to be ready for news for bad news is we hold our breath really tightly almost like we want the bad news to happen so that um, so that we are somehow ready as opposed to whatever Allah Ta'ala hits me with I'm going to be okay it's going to be a struggle but things will work out 
And so me having lived in Mashallah now half a century, yeah, if you just take the attitude of life goes on, and life is going to be okay. I've been in one piece for five decades. However long Allah wills me to live for, I'll be in one piece, inshallah. And so here, this is what we're saying, that as we go through all of the Quran, not just in what we're covering over this month, the flashlight to keep imprinted in our thinking is the first ayah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. That will give you, not to get too abstract, a vector of thinking, as opposed to just looking at an ayah on its own. That all that happens is a manifestation of connection to God through the mercy of God. Now, obviously, of course, like we discussed before, we'll discuss again. If someone is going through a huge tragedy, you don't say, hey, this is a wonderful event for you. No, obviously, you don't do that. But um, but this is fundamentally how reality operates. Okay. <clears throat> Any other thoughts, questions, reflections about the disconnected letters? Okay. Nothing. So now another... Uh, Aya, which will be again review for those of you who've taken multiple things with me. Oh, it looks like there's something in the chat box. Sorry. Uh, one message is yes to uh, increase our trust, divine wisdom. And then also a message sent to me. I feel like it's a lesson of humility too. Coming to terms and accepting my limitations as a human and also having faith that Allah knows my capacity and won't give me more than I can handle. Yes, exactly. So the point here being that Allah is not going to give you anything you can't handle, which means whatever it is, let it come, inshallah. Sometimes Allah is going to give you ease and sometimes he's going to give you struggle. That is the promise of this world. But he's not going to give you anything you can't handle. Okay. So next, I'm sorry, I keep reducing that. Let me pull this up really fast. So can you all see the Quran on the screen? Yes. All right. So one question all of you who've taken my classes before should be able to answer without looking here is what is the first command? And raise your hand if you remember the answer to the question based on whatever. Adnan is the only person who's raised it. Okay, mashallah. Be the abd of your rub. Be the abd of your rub. Mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. Okay. So, ya ayyuhan nasu abudu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum alladhi khalaqakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. So this translation says, O humanity, O people, O mankind, be the abd of your rabb. And then he's the one who created you as he created those before you. Perhaps you may develop taqwa. Okay, so uh, just again, the stuff that some of you have heard from me 600,000 times, I have asked thousands of people, no exaggeration, can you tell me when I open up from page one, what is the very first command of God? When I start from page one, not what is the first command the prophet received, peace be upon him, but what is the first command? And out of a couple thousand people, maybe about seven by now have been able to answer it without... Uh, without having to go through and read the whole Quran in their head. Okay, so let's get into the next ayah.
Sura 2. Two twenty-one. Okay, <clears throat> so simple translation. Oh wait, let's see. Let's see how super exciting my. Um, copy. Let's see if this works. All of you should be as excited as I am as I'm doing this. Okay, it worked. Mashallah. Of course, it's a little tiny. Yeah. In any case, there's there's our, our, our second eye. You can look really, really close. Simple translation. Oh, people. The abd of your rub. That is the first part. He created you as he created those before you. Perhaps, or so that you get taqwa. Alrighty. <clears throat> so first and foremost, this is the first command. In the first hundred ayahs, we only have three commands. First hundred ayahs of al-Baqarah, we only have three commands. Second hundred ayahs, then that number multiplies by as much as 15 commands and so forth and so on. If I start from page one. Now, first and foremost, does it follow, does it make sense that this would be the first command? And if not this, what would make more sense? Any thoughts? Silence. Day two of uh, fasting. Yeah, I, I would say it makes sense. It's Thanks, Adnan. Thank you for confirming uh, that it makes sense. You want to add on to it? Yeah, well, I also don't want to be the one saying uh, the order God put it in is incorrect, so I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's also pretty deep. But what we're effectively saying is that there is a wisdom in terms of the order that the Quran is laid out in that if I start from page one, if I start from the last page, there is a wisdom that can be derived through the exploration of the text, moving from verse to verse, eye to eye. Uh, and so having said that, be the other, go ahead. Did you mean there's, if you start from the last page, moving backwards, there's a wisdom in that sequence also? Yeah, yes. Exactly. Starting from, you, is are you the first to say that? Like, are the others who say that? Uh, I doubt that I'm even remotely the first. No, but do you, are you drawing on someone, or oh, have no, you this, observed this yourself? This specifically is just me saying, me, me speaking. You know, you know, pretending like I know things. But yeah, but uh, but yeah, I think. But essentially, I am saying that when you start from Surah Al-Nas to Surah Al-Falaq to Surah Al-Ikhlas to Surah Al-Masad and so forth and so on, um, there is a discernible wisdom there that is not necessarily imposed by reading, but can be extracted. But likewise, we also speak of the whole of the Quran as guidance, so it can come from any direction. Uh, Farah. 
yeah i was about to say the same thing i think the word order should work in any order mm-hmm. um uh, of wisdom and the other thing is like why, why do you say that this is the first command like What first to this? yeah for, no first to someone who opens at the first page of the mushaf yeah exactly is there anything before it i mean if that's if you don't open from the first page of the mushaf Yeah I mean I'm saying if you open it for the first page. Okay. Then yeah. then I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Go through read through and see if you can find something that comes before this. But I am saying if you start from the first page uh so there's wisdom coming from the Quran in any direction but if you start from the first page there is a whole process of guided transformation that is taking place above all the other different approaches even starting from the last page or starting in embracing one particular surah. But the wisdom and the guidance from the Quran comes inshallah from any direction. Asim. Um, yeah, I think also like a, a point to make about this is if we sort of take our practice to be primarily relationship driven, this is the this is the beginning of the nature of that relationship. You feel like it seems like there's another sentence in there that you want to share somewhere that you may not have formulated but yeah. That might be right, but I don't have it right now. <laughs> okay, inshallah. Yeah. I mean, another way to think about this is the other option is to say that this is arbitrary. That the organization of the Quran is fundamentally arbitrary either that we juggle around all the surahs or we juggle around all the ayahs. And I'm saying that we can do all of that, but that there is this consistency of this being the layout of the Quran there is a discernible wisdom there so so from the point of the reader or or the or the person who is new to islam right mm-hmm. um and uh, uh, how that person will understand what is the meaning of abd actually because it's it's a very profound word in a way that like a prophet has been praised as abdullah right by Allah himself. So how are we going to understand the word Abd, right? Well, if we're talking about understanding all these things in depth, that's one thing. If we're talking about understanding things at least at some level, then you start with translation. Meaning we could make your same point even more profound by saying, how can I understand Allah, right? I mean, that applies to, to, to everything. So all of these words definitely have tremendous amounts of depth but everyone can begin with a surface level. And those who have the aspirations for going deeper, those options are available too. Uh, who is it? No, it wasn't uh, this guy, Saida, uh, 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 a teacher who is telling me of uh, a book <laughs> that is just an elucidation of the word hatta. Arabs, how do you translate hatta? as a until maybe yeah basically like until and this is a 200 page book on all the variations of 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 this word and so so i'm saying we can get to that deep level just for pronouns uh what to think of the the big heavy words so having said all that what i'm suggesting for your consideration is we've gone from bismillah rahman rahim to Alif Lamim, and now Ya Ayyuhannas Uqbudu Rabbakum. So, what does it mean to be the Abd? So, we spoke about Ibadah already. So, Ibadah 
so ibada meaning being an abd which we commonly translate as worship we translated the other day as more deeper in its etymology to give your most extreme love that all of us we have this top level of love which is the point of surrender that all of us direct to something or some things some directed to a law some directed to their own whims and desires some may direct it to something else and in all these examples might be examples of people who self-identify as muslim so one aspect of being muslim is the declaration of faith but then trying to live up and fulfill the declaration of faith is the goal and so here is one initial step to go into complete voluntary loving surrender to allah okay. now having said that how does the situation change if instead of rabb it says we say be the abd of your master so rabb anybody remember the long translation we had of rabb from previous classes go for it adnan uh the one that takes you from i think immaturity maturity according to your natural design yes so rabb be the abd of your rub, which is commonly translated as be the abd, the worshiper of your lord. This word that's translated as lord, more accurately, is be the worshiper of the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. So again, to to make to make the point full, we're saying that Allah, as the rub of the universe, takes the entire universe from start to finish according to the design of the universe. Then every galaxy from start to finish according to the design of each galaxy, and then every planet, every human, from start to finish according to the design of each human, every animal, every plant, every uh, molecule from start to finish, according to the design of each specific molecule, subatomic particles, so forth and so on. So we're speaking of Allah having an intimate relationship with every aspect of creation, and it's a guiding relationship. Okay. But if we, and so the closest thing that I can come up with for a simple translation of Rub is nourisher, right up here Good. and so if we change it from be the give your most extreme love to your nourisher to give your most extreme love to your master how does it change awesome um it it establishes a it establishes a much different power dynamic okay but what would be the difference um so it, with the rub the default relationship is much more akin to like parent to child okay um as opposed to master which in sort of modern um times kind of establishes the way like 
I, I think Master establishes a much more like he is powerful, you are not, as opposed to uh, he's going to shower you with Brahma. Okay. Okay, so it would not be wrong for Allah to speak of himself as Malik, correct? But what you're effectively saying, it's a much softer and much yeah. more inviting for Allah to speak of himself as Rabb here. Yeah, and, and perhaps in, in uh, at least in my experience in sort of basically child rearing, it's much more, Rabb is much more like your mother, Malik is much more like your father. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take that all as compliments too about uh, Asim's parents, mashallah, or Asim and his wife's parents. Okay. Uh, Mahmoud. Uh, I would think it will take the sense of, of freedom of will, like between a master and Abd, I guess. Mm-hmm. It had more like controlling side of it. Yeah, that Malik is much more dominant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adnan. Uh, I guess for me, one of the things you talked about earlier was um, seeing trials as mercies or like seeing the unknown as mercy. So I guess it would change sort of your outlook on those things or it could. Mm-hmm. That that if Allah is Malik, then when I'm hit with struggle, uh, the point could be my subjugation. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be the default. It I'm would saying. not be my growth. No. Awesome. Just a heads up, there's stuff going on in the chat that you're... Uh, oh, snap, I'm missing chats. Yeah, just a heads up. Thank you for, for raising my head. So let's see what we got here. Uh, okay. uh, some of these messages that are directly to me are also kind of interesting. Um, what we have here, okay. So first command, we got to be the Abd of your Rab. Sure, thank you. Makes sense since the Shahada is first and foremost, so it also makes sense that this is the first command, yes. Now this says, uh, I think it makes sense, it's establishing a relationship between us and God, yes. Hypothetically, why not the first command be, believe in me? Any thoughts on this one? This is a good question. So Tawsif is asking, what if the first command was, believe in me? How does that change the situation? So instead of be the Abd of your Rab, Ella. So I think it has to do possibly with Islam versus Iman, okay. right? So um, you know, Allah is saying like, enter Islam, like worship me, submit to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Iman comes after that, like as a result of Islam, then your Iman comes and then you believe. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is an interesting point in terms of the common proposed way of growth that we find over and over again in the tradition is you do the action first. This is the realm of Islam. And then you are nurturing the mind, the realm of Iman. And then you're nurturing the heart, the realm of, of Ihsan. And you start with action. And part of the argument there is that much of the prescribed actions in in Islam are focused on providing you not just growth, but stability. If you have instability, for example, you can't control your sleep, you can't control your diet, you can't control your tongue, you're not going to be able to develop your your heart uh, until that stuff is under control. Yeah, I'd say this is definitely one one way to approach it. Ahant. Um, I think a reason that 
that like wasn't uh, the first command is because it's for like it's as if like like if Allah is telling us to believe in Him, the the assumption is that our fitra doesn't naturally believe in Him already. Okay, translate fitra. Fitra is um, is the is every human being's uh, soul being naturalist you know being naturally predisposed to you know worshiping one god mm-hmm. so yeah we, we believe that everyone is born on fitra according to the teachings of the prophet peace be upon him and your natural and part of your natural design is a, an innate connection to god that can be weaned out of you or overloaded depending on how you're being raised mm-hmm. there could be another... oh, wait, wait, uh, were you saying anything else um, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, that, uh, I don't think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to make that the first command because he knows that that's our, our fitra. Mm-hmm. Rather, he is, he's, he's trying to make us realize our fitra through other commands. Okay, so bring us back to our fitra. Nice. Farah. Um, uh, I'm making a deliberate effort to not speak on god's behalf oh feel free Allah's behalf. i mean there's, yeah. there's other people in the class who do so and no but like, i think it's but i think that that goes into a um a a misrepresentation or an a, a, a case of like um um gross arrogance doesn't make sense right like i can't speak on anyone's behalf but my own and so like um is and especially of a being that claims to be absolute and eternal, like, how can I know what an absolute being wants and things? But at the same time, I can say things that are true to my reality and from my experience. So for, for the question that uh, was brought up, um, I think the belief in Allah, and this might have to relate with other comments too, um, the belief in Allah is um, you don't need revelation to conclude that there must be a creator, but you do need revelation to know who this creator is. So get an introduction to what it is. But in order to conclude that this universe needs a creator, yeah, you can conclude it prior to revelation. Okay, okay. And so so essentially uh, the how is one of the purposes of, of revelation then, okay. Anna. I kind of have something that like follows up on what Sister Farah said, but Go for um, it. I think that like, in order to decide that you would follow any command in the Quran, I think you'd first have to have that belief. So it kind of seems like counterintuitive that you would command a people to believe you, believe you in like the scripture that's like meant to tell you how to like live your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to modify this point and suggest that one of the ways that the Quran seems to speak is it's not trying to convince you very often, at least it's not trying to convince you of reality, meaning believe in Allah or not. Allah is a reality. Meaning in this text, the thrust seems to be that believing it or not, this is a reality. And so here's how you need to engage with reality, submit, but to the nourisher. 
but yeah, I still think this doesn't negate all the points that Anna and, and Hunt, uh, Hunt and, uh, and Sister Fada have mentioned. But it seems very often that the Quran is not asking you to take it as real. It's saying this is real whether you take it or not. Uh, Khuram and then Mahmoud. So uh, there is another angle. I think it has already been discussed that uh, uh, because the Quran is not only for Muslims. Uh, it's it's open for everyone to read, and and everyone has Allah, Allah has given the fitra right, and uh, there is definitely if uh, it's it's a word of Allah, whether you believe or not, okay. and and it it will challenge your fitra itself uh, to be able to reconcile that okay there is something different about it, and. Um, uh, and 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 uh, and uh, it will like uh, uh, be a part of your. It you, you become a part of some process that you will keep uh, more going into the deep into that and and further and further that you will build up your. And 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 the other thing is that. The oh, okay. Com- complete your sentences before you go to the next <laughs> sentence. I know um, your your ideas are much all racing, but complete a uh, sentence. Um. So. Uh, it will be, uh, because my next sen- sentence is about that the belief Allah Ta'ala said that Iman comes from Allah basically yeah. means uh, people like in academics read Quran like for research purposes and everything right but Iman comes from Allah at the end okay so so it means if is... you say that belief in Allah if Allah say to, to me okay belief in me means uh, it is some sort of a sort of it clashes I believe because mm-hmm. at the end belief, Iman comes from Allah this is also raising another really important point. When we're saying belief versus uh, uh, the word iman. So iman, uh, in a simple sense, is translated as to believe in something, to take something as true. Uh, when we get into iman uh, as like al-iman, the iman, it means to have such a level of security in something that people around you feel secure. So this is a, a way to approach the word al-iman. If we're speaking of, of believing, when we are speaking in our society as believing, we're basically saying, I take something as true, even though I can't prove it. And so I'm saying, shift that to, I have security in the truth of this. And then to develop iman is to develop such a level of security that you have no doubt, right? as we find in the ayat in Surah 49, around Ayah 13. Uh, Mahmoud, you, you were saying something. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I look at that from a language point of view. Like, if, if I'm going to start seeing God ask me to believe in him, I believe it doesn't, doesn't match his, his position when it's calmed down, talking to down to human beings. So I believe it has sort of an order, just like worship me uh, as, as a sort of like... Uh, whether you believe or not, you have to do that. You know, the Salafi, I feel like it's kind of doesn't fit the description of, of Allah to ask human beings to believe in him. Yeah. Well, it was best. I think it's fascinating that the little baby in the background kept saying, Allah, 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 mashallah. All righty. By nature. Mashallah. Okay. So, be the abd of your rabb is the first instruction. Now, if we put it into practice, what does that mean we're doing? So if it says, if Allah says give charity, then okay, then here's some money and I give it in charity, done. If Allah says pray, then we have a form 
for for the prayer. But when Allah is saying, be the abd, from this point forward, what does that mean I'm doing? It's almost like this is the most abstract or comprehensive. So effectively, if we are saying, be the abd, so Rudy says, assume responsibility for one's own path. I think absolutely yes. Sarah submitting, absolutely yes. And so what we're saying effectively is that from this point forward, I embrace this attitude, this disposition, this consciousness, that whatever Allah tells me to do from here, I'm going to aspire to do. And because it says, be the abdul your rub, I'm going to see it as beneficial for me. I'm going to see it as nourishing for me. So later on, we're not going to go through this ayah in this class. We're being told to make our prayers. I'm looking at my prayers, my daily prayers, as something that I'm obliged to do. But it's more than just going through the motions. It is something nourishing for me. If I have to keep control of my tongue, it is something nourishing for me. And so... Be the abd of your rub especially makes sense as the first instruction saying, this is the disposition, this is the attitude, this is the, set, the sentiment I should have from this point forward about everything that God tells me to be, and that God tells me to do, that I will aspire to do it. Even if it seems hard, I'm going to try. And I'm going to see it as beneficial for me. Beneficial not only on the other side, but also on this side, because the time isn't, isn't uh, it doesn't say, you know, that he's your problem on the other side. So this is the attitude to have towards all commands, as opposed to, you know, oh man, what a burden. Oh, you know, what's going to happen to me if I do it? What's going to happen to me if I don't do it? The default attitude first is I'm going to try to fulfill whatever Allah tells me to do, and it's going to be beneficial for me. Which also implies a very deep sense of trust. If you were to go back and look at the attributes of the people of Taqwa in the previous page of the Quran, eyes two through five, and contrast them with the attributes of the people of hypocrisy, you know, ayahs eight through 16, the people of Taqwa have thorough trust in Allah. And that's the question for me to ask myself, what is my level of trust in God? Which goes back to the question of the unknown, which goes back to the question of what is the nature of my connection with God? So, whereas the, the people of hypocrisy, the people of nifaq, their default is distrust in God. Not the same as lack of trust. Like even our trust might be wavering. The hypocrites have distrust in God and thus they take their own route. And so now putting these three ayahs together, leading to what we will talk about tomorrow, inshallah, taqwa. Uh, my question for myself and your question for yourselves is, what is the nature and depth of trust I have in God? And that applies especially to my future. Obviously, my present I mean, the fact that you're in class right now means you have some amount of trust in God that you can take time out and do this as opposed to doing something else. But when you think about your future, how much of that is fear? How much of that is hope? If it's trust, it should be more hope than fear.
All righty. As I'm scrolling through, uh, uh, Shayla's asking why so many translations use master rather than nurture. I don't think they use master for rub. They use uh, lord very often for rub. So Malik is appropriately translated as master. Master, yeah. king, Malik, or Malik, depending upon what the translator is focusing on. But yeah, essentially like master. Yeah. Um, and let me see if there's any other comments or questions. Uh, okay. Any other questions about uh, anything at all related to what we've covered, not related? So Malik is actually used in, um, in Surah Fatiha, right? Yes. So that gives another sort of understanding uh, or like explanation that Malik at that time and at the day of judgment, like he will be the judge. Uh, or so think as... of Malik as owner. Yeah. And on the day of judgment, he'll be the owner of the day of judgment, meaning undisputed owner. Right. And this is where a lot of people dispute God being the owner. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. Can Please, you, Dr. Mahan. Can you say something about that hadith that says the heart of a believer balances between fear and hope? Because mm -hmm. here I hear you saying, you know, more hope than fear. Mm -hmm. But from that, one seems to understand kind of an oscillation uh, and, a, and a more of a balance. So how, mm -hmm. how say a little bit more about that. Sure. Did an, an arrow appear on your screen? Okay. All right. So first we have hope and then we have fear and somewhere there's a neutral point in the middle. So now making the whole spectrum, what would you call fear that has zero hope? Anyone? Despair. Despair. Bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty bad situation. What would you call hope that has zero fear? Arrogance, illusion. Everyone goes to the negative, certainty. Good. All right, so, so that's the spectrum. And then three scenarios. Allah's will for me in dunya. Sorry, I, I shrunk my lines so now it's getting harder to write neatly. Okay, my response to Allah's will in dunya. Third scenario is my akhirah. So three scenarios about my future. What Allah has in store for me, I'm saying I should have more hope than fear. Do I respond adequately, satisfactorily? I should have more fear than hope. But for my akhirah, so if I were to die, you know, in three seconds from now and get jet propelled, to the barzakh and then get sent to my day of judgment. Yeah. I should have a balance of hope and fear. If I can reach a state of sincere balance of hope and fear, that is one of the definitions of taqwa.
Now, if I have more fear than hope regarding my day of judgment, then I should say something like, Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah, by improving my end times by saying these, these, remember, um, these mentions of Allah, or I should do some good deeds. If I have more fear than hope, sorry, sorry, sorry. If I have more fear than hope, then I should elevate my, my akhirah by way of action. If I have more hope than fear, then I should remember some of my sins. To get to this balance point where if one person is going to hell, what should, what should be my attitude? That I fear that it's me. And if I find out that one person is going to heaven, what should be my attitude? That I hope it's me. So fear and hope should be balanced uh, in terms of how I look at my afterlife. But regarding this dunya, the default of what I expect from God should be more hope than fear because of this persistence of Rahmah. But how I respond to that should be more fear than hope. Dr. Mahan, what do you think? Does it make sense? Good. Dr. Malahat. So the, the lens, I'm just uh, piggybacking on the question of Mahan, the lens to look the, the Hadith philosophy or history should be the Quran or is vice versa? I'm saying the lens is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim for no. the Quran, for right. the Hadith. And then the Quran and Hadith fill it in, in the detail. So, so I think the Surah Qamar, I think there is a, I'm probably mistaken, but I think Surah Qamar, there is a two ayah which mention about the size of the hell will be smaller than the size of the heaven. Okay. So, so is the hope should be more, right? That the more Muslims, inshallah, will end up into Jannah rather than they end up into the hellfire. Um, possibly we can make that connection, or we could just say heaven, you know, my heaven is much bigger than someone else's hell. Meaning, uh, we also have narrations that seem to indicate that a whole lot of people are going to go to hell. Exactly, that's, that's where I'm going. That you know, when we when we look into those that you know, a lot of people, a lot of more people go into the hell rather than heaven. If we put those things together, how what is how we can able to see that you know which lens we should use to translate or as a primary or foundational knowledge to interpret the other one, the Quran to Hadith or Hadith to Quran. I'm saying Bismillah Rahman Rahim for the whole thing. Okay, so which is yeah. the Quran? Yeah, you know, okay. and, or you can say Al Fatiha for the whole thing. Yes, I mean the the answer beyond that is not that simple, right? Okay. Because sometimes the uh, sometimes the Hadith are filling in the gaps of the Quran, not necessarily competing with the Quran, right? And and so it's not as simple as saying Hadith or Quran. That's uh, uh, that's uh, simplifying things too much. But that difference of opinion goes all the way to the scholarly levels. Uh, but at the scholarly levels, it's not as simple of a discussion of do we go to Hadith or Quran. Hmm. That's too that's simplifying the discussion way too much. Right. No, as as 
I asked the same question to some of the brothers this morning. Uh, my question is that, you know, as a, as ourself, right, we don't have to share, like you've been keep saying for years, right, that every year if you see yourself on one level, you're not moving to the next level, then you have to, you know, look into yourself. Mm-hmm. What is the foundational or litmus test, right? That what is the question we should ask to ourselves? We don't have to share with anyone, but like for ourselves, okay, this is where I stand on that level of of my age of 40 years. This level I'm still well, you're 40 years old, mashallah. No, no, well, I'm saying I'm I'm just saying on the 10 years ago or 11 years ago, or where I'm standing today. So what does that mean, right? I mean, how we how we can say when it's become too late that we cannot rectify ourselves. How okay. So for the last part, that's never an option. It's never too late, right? Um, someone could be 112 years old, have no physical control of almost anything, but they still can control their heart and their thoughts. All right. So that part, it's never too late for, for personal rectification uh, because we believe in Tawbah as an option forever, except at the moment of death. But even if you're at the moment of death, you should still uh, uh, do Tawbah because you may discover it's not your moment of death. But uh, what are some ways to evaluate? Let me give you the short version of an answer and then let me think of a more comprehensive answer. The short version of an answer would be to look uh, specifically at what is the condition of your acts of worship, both in terms of quantity and quality. And then what is the, the nature of your interaction with people? And if someone is lost in arrogance, they're not going to be able to evaluate anything. But if someone is seeking objectively trying to get closer to God, then those are the the baseline things to, to, to look at. It's harder to evaluate generosity because one day I might have a lot of money and another day I might have less money. Um, but um, I can evaluate the condition of my prayers any single day. So let's start with that as a short answer. Let me know if that makes sense. But yeah. then uh, I'll try to think of something more comprehensive and show. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Dua says, I've also seen Ab translate as servant. What do you think of that connotation? All of these work, servant works, slave works, worshiper works. They all have, you have different politics with them, different, different baggage with them. So, so they all have their, their, their purposes. So uh, servant of God, yeah, that is not inaccurate. Chidam or chidma is more associated with servitude um, uh, if we get really into the linguistics. Uh, otherwise, um, slave of God also works, but slave of God is, is one of the most repulsive uh, or slave is one of the most repulsive concepts in our society. Um, and so, so thus, yeah. Uh, and then, so if something goes against the concept of Bismillah, should we disregard it? Oh, wonderful question, Isa. Let's hold on to that question. And we will come back to that, inshallah. All righty. Any other for, uh, last questions? We will stop here. And tomorrow we will start with taqwa and our next ayah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka we seek your forgiveness wa natubu ilayk and we turn to you. May Allah tell reward you all inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum.